I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Friday night as I am recording this after the Nuggets blow out the Rockets, the Houston Rockets. They go on the road a couple days after blowing out the Miami Heat. They do the same things to the Rockets, perhaps even worse. Final score of this one, 128-99. to They hold them under 100, beat them by nearly 30. Nikola Jokic had a great MVP performance. It really was a great all-around all around domination game. Denver won every quarter. They knew exactly how they had to play in this one in order to win, and they executed that game plan to perfection. And I thought that the, the biggest takeaway from this one was just how physically dominant and how incredibly skilled Denver's front court is in general. Uh, they looked all that part of it against a Houston Rockets team that was clearly undersized. Uh, that was definitely a big, big story here. Uh, in the Miami game, uh, it was a second night of a back-to-back for the Heat at altitude. Uh, that wasn't really the reason why the Houston Rockets lost tonight. They lost because they couldn't contain the best player in the NBA. He was incredible. Jokic dominating once again. 29 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists, and 2 steals, 0 turnovers in just under 28 minutes. He's actually the first person ever to do that. Uh, I know that's those are very arbitrary numbers. I just plugged them into StatHead after the game and decided, okay, has anybody ever actually done this before? Because I was, I was just genuinely curious. And no, it actually hasn't been done before. Nobody's ever put up that many points, rebounds, and assists in that amount of minutes. Usually it takes more time than that. Nikola Jokic was just racking up the points, racking up the rebounds. And then his teammates created a lot of easy shots for, or they he created a lot, a lot of easy shots for his teammates as well. Uh, in that third quarter, I thought teammates actually left some of those assists on the table. Uh, I think Zeke Naji had, had a shot that was blocked. Faku Kampazo missed a layup. Uh, P.J. Dozier, I think, missed a layup, but it is what it is. Uh, he still was extremely dominant, did everything that he needed to do, was just in his bag tonight completely. Uh, 29 points on 10 of 12 from the field, only missed two shots, and I believe he rebounded each of those two misses and put them back. Uh, one of one from three. He continues to do the thing where he pump fakes at the top of the key, and everybody still closes out on him really hard and jumps for the pump fake. Um but the one shot that he did take was actually a pretty deep transition three, like close to a 27-28 footer where he just caught it in rhythm and, and shot it to the rafters and it dropped perfectly through the net. Really impressive shot there. Sort of a dagger blow for any possible comeback attempt of the Houston Rockets. But the 8 of 9 from the free throw line I thought was also really impressive. He didn't take no for an answer tonight. Had a couple of those where he was fouled for an and one. But most of the time, he was just physically trying to get to the front of the rim and do everything that he could to put the team on his back. And this is a really good sign because in a situation where he had a distinct matchup advantage against Christian Wood, Kelly Olynyk, uh, anybody that the Rockets switched on to him, the Rockets are an undersized team. They were always going to be a team that struggled with Nikola Jokic, and they struggled at the beginning of the year uh, when James Harden was there at the the third game of the season, I think. That was Nikola Jokic's 18-assist game. They stayed home more in this game and asked Jokic to go one-on-one against a guy like Christian Wood, Kelly Olenek, guys like that. Jokic was more than happy to oblige. He got to the rim, got to the free-throw line, drew some fouls. 
He was just very, very good all around. I thought this was a really nice performance from him. And you like to see that in the face of all of this controversy and all, not controversy, but all this discourse that keeps keeps cropping up everywhere. People are talking about him like he's not the MVP. It is sort of mind-boggling at this point that that conversation continues to happen, but Jokic is not a guy who's going to get caught up in that conversation. He's always going to put his best foot forward. Takes every He goes through every game like it's just the next game, like it's just another one. And his approach hasn't really changed here. He's just a guy who's going to put the team in a best position to win, show up every single day. Uh, I recorded a quote that I asked a question to Michael Malone, and I thought that that would be uh, good to share on the podcast. I asked him about what about Nikola Jokic's availability has been really helpful. He says, it's a tremendous positive impact. We've played 56 games, and Nikola's been available for every one of them. If you go back to January 2nd, I think we are now 35-16 and 16 since that day. Obviously, we got off to a poor start, but Nikola, his fingerprints are all over everything that we do. Offensively, defensively, locker room culture, huddles, whatever you want to talk about, Nikola's going to be in the mix. He has that kind of impact. There's more to that quote. Just go look at my Twitter page, but... Malone is really in Nikola Jokic's corner on this. He's obviously very biased when it comes to the MVP conversation, but it really is a factor. And him being able to talk about that, him being able to uh, just put forth his best foot every single game, that's really impressive. 56 games, not missing a single one, always bringing the right attitude, always bringing the right mindset. You can't say the same about any other uh, any other superstar at this point. Everybody else has missed a game or two here or there. Embiid has missed 18. That's that's just how it is. So we're going to see how that ultimately boils down. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit in the third segment, the MVP race. But uh, another great game from Nikola Jokic, and he just continues to show why he is such a dominant player night in and night out. Michael Porter Jr., he also had a really, really good uh, game tonight. I thought that this was a very impressive performance from him. Uh, Let's just go through the numbers here. 21 points, 7 of 13 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, 3 of 4 from the free throw line. Only 5 rebounds, but Denver out-rebounded Houston 54 to 35, so I'm not really concerned about that. Uh, Jokic grabbed 16 as well. He was really dominating the boards. Uh, Porter also had 1 assist, 1 steal, and was a plus 22 in his 31 minutes. He was a very key piece to what Denver did, both with the starters and the bench tonight. He was the guy that, the starter that rotated with that bench unit. Uh, They are going to rely on his scoring or have to rely on his scoring at times. I don't think they did a lot of it tonight. Most of his scoring came with Jokic in the first quarter, uh, came with uh, when he was with the starting group. But I still like that they're going to try to incorporate him into that. Uh, there, there are still things with that bench group that I'm not super pleased with, but it's hard to really argue with it tonight. Uh, but still, I liked what I saw from Porter. He continues to progress in ways that people don't necessarily fully appreciate yet. Uh, just the playability of him to be able to go out there and on a random Friday night, just be able to positively, positively impact the game in so many different facets. It's really important. And the shot that he's going with right now is just silky smooth. Uh, 21 points on 13 shots. 
And some of those three-pointers that he was hitting at the beginning of the game, just unbelievable stuff. He's in a great place right now, and I, I like what I've seen from him for sure. Uh, that is going to continue. There's no reason to think that Michael Porter is going to slow down from this point. Uh, teams are going to start keying in on him, but there's only so much that they could do. There's only so much that teams can really game plan for against a guy like that. So we'll see how much teams are willing to sell out against him when Denver's offense is still so very egalitarian in terms of who can get those shot attempts. I'm curious to see how they handle it. Uh, Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green. Let's talk about them real quick before we hit a break here. Uh, I thought that this was a really good showing from both of them, just in terms of the overall physical dominance against a team that was clearly undersized. Uh, the Rockets were running out, I think, uh, DJ Wilson at center and Kevin Martin or uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. Uh, Nuggets fans should know that name. Uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. against Denver's front court of Millsap and Green. And it really was just kind of watching them out there. It was very distinct how night and day the physical like stature was for those two teams. And you don't necessarily think of Denver being the oversized team when they play uh, Millsap and Green together. The Rockets are just an unnaturally small team. That's what they do. That's how they've, they've constructed their roster. And Denver really took advantage of that tonight. Paul Millsap had 10 rebounds, 4 offensive. Jermichael Green had 7 rebounds, 4 offensive. They each had double-digit points. Uh, 11 points for Millsap, 13 for Jermichael Green. And Paul Millsap had 2 blocks. Jermichael Green had a steal. It was just a really nice all-around performance from them. Uh, they combined to go 10 of 18 from the field. Uh... 4 of 4 from the free throw line. Barely took any threes, which I think kind of disrupted the spacing a little bit with that bench unit. But that's okay, because when you have those guys who could physically dominate people and you don't have to space the floor, that's okay. You'd like to just have teams try to force to... to you want the other team to stop your A game. And for Denver in that situation, they wanted to punish the Rockets for being small. Houston never adjusted, they never responded, and Denver, as a as a result of that, they won that rebounding battle by a lot. Uh, that was a big story tonight for sure. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about other players on the Nuggets roster. But first, this podcast is sponsored to you by DraftKings. Uh, basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. Some teams are locks to make the playoffs. Others are still fighting for their opportunity. DraftKings, America's uh, top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Uh, bet on any team, and if that team of your choosing hits a single three, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit a 3. They don't even have to win the game. All you have to do is sign up. All you have to do is uh, sign up on DraftKings, get all that action before this offer ends. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits a 3. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, 
Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. everybody for leaving your ratings reviews and, subs- and subscriptions to this podcast uh, it really isn't really it's not really a subscription it's just a, a follow uh, you don't have to pay anything it's all free so if you could uh, just leave a positive uh, five-star review if you could at all possible it's been awesome to watch those flood in thank you so much as always all right I talked mostly about the front court in this game tonight let's talk about the guards I was a little bit disappointed watching Will Barton tonight, and it wasn't because he went 3 of 10, 1 of 6 from 3. It's because he had one rebound, and there were a lot of situations tonight where I watched Will Barton switch on to a bigger player and then not really try to box out in any way, shape, or form when a shot went up. That bigger player then collected an offensive rebound and put in a bucket, and it There were a lot of other situations where Will Barton just was very visibly frustrated with his teammates' effort or execution on the defensive end. And I didn't like to see that because there's a little bit of uh, calling the kettle black there. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that Will Barton has to improve. And he's had a few games now where the offensive uh, game just hasn't been there. 3 of 10 tonight from the field, 12 points, 1 of 6 from 3. Did get to the line six times and made five of six. Did have a couple nice dunks tonight. So it wasn't like Will Barton didn't do anything. It's just that I think there is a a little bit of a misguided approach there. Will Barton seems very frustrated. I'm not really sure why Denver held the Rockets under 100 points. Uh, Will's got to collect that a little bit. Unless everybody's fine with it and unless it, it keeps them motivated. And if that's the case, then... I'll shut my mouth. But uh, you could see it coming through the through the TV tonight, that he was pretty passionate, pretty emotional in a lot of those cases. And, and I think that that's something that I'll just circle in the back of my mind. And, and if that pops up, then we'll talk about it. Monte Morris went out earlier. Uh, he, he went out at the beginning of the third quarter, was dealing with some hamstring tightness. Michael Malone basically said, Really was just a precautionary thing. Wanted to get him out, uh, especially due to Jamal Murray's injury. You don't want to lose your your backup or now your new starting point guard as well. So good on Malone for doing that. Monte Morris wasn't really having a, a great offensive game, but he was doing some good things defensively. Two steals, a block, uh, zero turnovers. Was a good defender on John Wall. Um, who had seven turnovers tonight, I, I believe, all in the first half, if my sources are correct there. And it wasn't really, it wasn't just Monte, though. There were a lot of good reasons why Denver's uh, defense was connected in that regard. Uh, Nikola Jokic had a steal. That was a, a very easy pickpocket of John Wall. Uh, Faku Campazzo also did a really good job when he was facing up against John Wall and he was going up against guys like uh, Armani Brooks and Anthony Lamb 
or not Anthony Lamb. Uh, it, really, it really was mostly John Wall and Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, both of those guys really struggled when going up against Faku Kambazo tonight. And you love to see that. You love that Faku is stepping up, that is for sure. Uh, there was a, a good quote tonight from, uh, from who was it, Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap. They were both asked about Faku Kampazo's defense, and Jamichael Green says, I really feel like he's first-team all-defense. I don't care what anybody says. Paul Millsap also said, To me, off the bench, there's got to be a spot on one of those all-defensive teams for him. That's really interesting. That is a, a really interesting statement from both of those guys. I like what Faku does, and I, I will continue to try to educate myself in terms of how important it is to just keep people in front of him. There are definitely still concerns, in my opinion, about just the size, about people shooting over him, about when he gets switched onto somebody, then the, the defense has to overreact, in my opinion. But overall, it's hard to argue with the with the results because the bench right now, with Faka Campazzo, PJ Dozier, Paul Millsap, and Jermichael Green, all of those guys are plus defenders. All of those guys have shown that in the right situation, they can really shut down an opposing team. Faka Campazzo is the head of the snake there, in my opinion. He's the guy that frustrates the opposing team's ball handler slows them down, makes them take a couple extra seconds to get into the offense, and then suddenly you're you're starting your offense and you're running your offense at 12 seconds as opposed to 14, which I think is a, a really good thing and a really helpful thing for Denver. It means that Paul Millsap, Jamichael Green, P.J. Dozier, guys like that, they don't have to work as hard because Faku is doing a lot of the work for them. So that is a, a really good point. And, and I think that I've been a little bit hard on him, for sure. I'm glad that he can now kind of settle into this role, maybe earn some time, earn some consistency. He's hit a couple threes tonight. Passing remains really, really good tonight, just box score-wise. Uh, he had seven points, uh, two of four from three, three assists, two rebounds, one steal, one turnover. It was a plus 17. I thought he moved the ball really well. And you want to see that. I think that kind of on the other end of that spectrum, P.J. Dozier, I was very positive about him after last game. Done a lot of great stuff. Thought he turned the dial up to 12 tonight uh, in terms of his aggressiveness, in terms of handling the ball, trying to drive to the rim all the time, try to kind of take those shots with consistency. And he took a lot of them. And I thought that it was just a little bit too much. A little bit too much for P.J. There was a stretch at the beginning of that second quarter when when Michael Porter goes a long time without touching the ball, without taking part in the offense in any way, shape, or form. I think that's an issue, especially given the way that he's played lately, given the way that if, the, if those point guards are going to facilitate the way that they do, you want Porter to be able to carry you a little bit in those situations, especially for a group that has struggled to score at times. So, P.J., when he takes 11 shots, goes 5 of 14 from the field, 1 of 6 from 3, doesn't get to the line at all, there's, there's a little bit of wiggle room there for him to be better, I would say. Probably cut down on a couple of those three-point attempts, cut down on a couple of those rim drives, and just try to take advantage of the advantage shots. 
There were a lot of shots that he took where the shot clock wasn't close to winding down. It was still 10 seconds, 14 seconds, 16 seconds, things like that. So I hope he starts running offense a little bit more. Uh, this was a kind of a nitpick game because I think that he's still pretty good and he's still going to be a very important piece of what Denver does. He provides more size and physicality than Morris and Barton in that backcourt. So he will be important. Uh, we'll just see how important he is, whether he can be counted on on the offensive end or if he's going to do too much. But yeah, I think that I think that the Nuggets in this case, we, we've started to see just how much they are discovering a new a new identity, a new way to play without Jamal Murray right now. You've seen how they approach it over the course of these past two games. They won over Miami, and they won over Houston, both pretty handily. Uh, in that Miami game, let's just go through the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown here. Miami scored 31 points in the first quarter. Denver scores 26. Denver scores 34 points in the second quarter. Miami scores 18. Denver scores 36 in the third quarter. Miami scores 30. Denver scores 27. Miami scores 27 in the fourth quarter. Some garbage time there, of course. Tonight, you've got Denver scoring 35 points in the first quarter, 28 in the first quarter for Houston, 34 points in the second quarter for Denver, 21 for Houston, 31 points in the third quarter for Denver, 30 for Houston, and then 28 points in the fourth quarter for Denver and 20 for Houston. I read those off because I think it's important to note, and, and you haven't, you, you can't necessarily track it in your head, so just... Take my word for it here. Denver is going to really try to prioritize defense in the second and fourth quarters. It's been that way all year. With the way that their bench is set up, with the way that the starters are set up, Denver is better suited to really lock in on defense with that second and fourth quarter units. Starting off with the bench and then having the starters just, uh, when they come back in, try to lock in as much as they can too. They can still score. And as long as Denver's bench doesn't go 0 for in the in the second and fourth quarters when they're out there, Denver's going to be okay. We've seen a lot of instances over these past couple where Denver has really taken it to both Miami and Houston's bench units. And that's a great sign because Denver didn't have that in a lot of their previous games. So I hope that Denver can find some scoring with those groups. You want them to be able to win every quarter by about five points. That means they get a 20-point win, pretty comfortable. Everybody plays, everybody everybody does their thing. But that's what you want to kind of center yourself around. So if you can win every quarter by five points, you're doing great. Uh, usually it's it's closer to, uh, for Denver, it's closer to on average about two points to one point. Sometimes you'll get some losses in there. But when they do win the quarters, if you can stay consistent like that, you'll be great. Denver won all four quarters against Houston. It's not going to happen every time. But against Miami, they won the second and third quarter handily, tied the fourth quarter. They only lost the first quarter by five. So if they can get this bench in gear, if they can find some rhythm at the beginning of the second and fourth quarter while locking up opposing teams, Denver can have a formula. They can survive the minutes without Nikola Jokic. And that is a really, really important factor as we head into the final stretch of the season. 
Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about, just, just go around the league a little bit. Talk about the MVP, talk about the standings, talk about the playoffs. We'll be right back. Pickaxe and Roll, thank you so much for making me a part of your weekend. Let's talk MVP, because there's been a lot of discourse lately about Jokic, about Embiid, about LeBron and Harden, and and everybody that's sort of proximal to the MVP race. It's mostly been about Embiid. And Jokic, for whatever reason, has been taking a lot of shots, (laughs) Just, just from the public, from... Uh, teams. There's been a lot of people verbally that have just, not, of course, they're verbally doing it, but everybody's talking about Jokic's MVP right now. There was a straw poll conducted by Tim Bontemps of ESPN, very good reporter, covers the Atlantic division most of the time, uh, which has Joel Embiid in it. And he did a straw poll that basically included members and representative members from around the world. Uh, from different markets, from different places in the country, and then some international people. All of those ballots, basically, 90 out of 101, had Nikola Jokic as the MVP. They had him in first place. There was a a note, there was no distant second place vote, uh, or Joel Embiid was a distant second, I believe. He wasn't really close. I think he had five first place votes, but there were other players that had some first-place votes too. He had some second-place votes. There was no clear-cut second-place guy. It really was just Jokic and then a bunch of others. And the Hoop Collective podcast with Brian Windhorst, Tim McMahon, Tim Bontemps shared his findings there. They got into a clown show of a podcast discussing Jokic and the merits of his MVP. And Brian Windhorst threw a fit on the jump today. They threw a fit about Nikola Jokic being so far ahead of everybody. And for whatever reason, there's just been this this reluctance, I would say. this uh, I, I wouldn't really know how to describe it because I don't think I've ever seen anything like it from a national outlet like that before. That... Everybody's just indignant about it. Everybody is so mad about it. And and I can't really quite wrap my head around why. I know that Joel Embiid is more personable with the media, but it's not like Nikola Jokic is a bad person. He's about all the right things. You want him to be If you if you had if you had a a youth basketball team you would want them to watch film of Nikola Jokic and how he plays the game as representative of how young fans should play the game. The way that he passes the ball for others, the way that he takes advantage of, of the gifts that he does have, while not necessarily worrying about the gifts that he doesn't have. Worked on his game, shows up every day, about the right things, doesn't make a mess of himself, doesn't say weird things in the media, just goes about his job, gets it done. 
the league should be hyping this dude up. The league should be singing his praises from the rafters, saying, it is so great that we have a young star like this in a market like Denver, where he can grow the game of basketball for people in that community, for people in Serbia, all around the world who support this guy. And yet, for whatever reason, it's gone the other direction. It's almost like he's stealing the award away from more deserving candidates, according to some. And I just don't get it. I I haven't really fully wrapped my head around it, but I would describe it as nonsense. Because Nikola Jokic has been incredible this year. Just been unbelievably good. He's shown up to work every single day, has been a very, very important piece of what has kept the Nuggets going in in the wake of Jamal Murray's injury, in the wake of Michael Porter Jr. getting COVID at the beginning of the year. They lost Jeremy Grant. They had to replace him. There's been a lot of factors. And oh, oh, and by the way, Denver went to the Western Conference Finals last year. They were one of the final four teams there. All of the teams have suffered injuries, COVID stuff, regression, whatever. The Nuggets are the team that suffered the least. And now they've had Murray go out with a torn ACL. So really, they have now suffered the most. And Jokic is still there. Jokic is still doing his thing. He is like at the pinnacle of his game, just doing dominant things every single night. Maybe not in the way that people want to see dominance. Maybe they want to see physical dunks, see yelling, see just overpowering nature of people. Jokic isn't like that. He's very meticulous. He's very, he'll, he'll take whatever the defense gives it to, gives to him. And that's not sexy, but it is the right basketball decision. And anybody that appreciates basketball IQ, anybody that appreciates making the most of what you have, should be on the Jokic bandwagon right now. That's not what's happening. There's been a a large outcry of people that are very upset about this. Whether it's the vocal minority or not, it's just a couple... Uh, high-profile folks that are kind of not in his corner. They're in other people's corners. Whatever that is, I don't really care. But I just think that Jokic has, has gone, he's gone far and away, gone above and beyond what he's supposed to do. His 41st overall pick wasn't supposed to be here. Happy to be here, of course. But he's also not going to flout it. He's also not going to go, like, make a mess of himself by getting into a Twitter beef with somebody. That's not the reason why he makes the MVP. The reason is because he's the best player in basketball right now. It's because he's the best offensive player in basketball, which is the most important side of it, by the way. And it's because he's the best overall player in basketball right now. And if you can find an argument against me, fine. Just just know that I have several that that can counter that one. Let's go through the standings here because I think that that'll be the thing that we do before wrapping up tonight. Um, Just going to refresh this, make sure I'm not missing anything. Okay. 
The Nuggets now sit at 36-20. They've won 8 of their last 10. 36-20 is very, very good. They're basically on pace to win 52 games, I believe. But because they're a, it's a 72-game season, let me just do that real quick here. Get that, that number pulled up for everybody. They're on pace to win, yeah, now 52, 52.7 games. Um, God, should have uh, divided by 82 times 72. Oh, shit. Okay, whatever, whatever. They're on pace to win a lot of games. They're on pace to be the four seed of the Western Conference. That would pit them against the Los Angeles Lakers, who are currently the five seed. The Nuggets have to be hoping that the Lakers drop. Or they have to try to catch the Clippers and get up to number three. Can they get up to number one? No. Uh, The Jazz are currently six games ahead of them. That's really showing out of reach now. Denver has 16 games left. And they can't make up six games in that span. So we're really coming down to it. We're coming down the wire. Against Phoenix, they'd have to make up four games with five losses. Uh, Phoenix is 40 and 15. Denver's 36 and 20. So there are four games back in the win column, but the more important part is they're five games back in the loss column. That's probably not happening either. Could they make up against the Clippers, who are 39 and 19? The Nuggets are 36 and 20, so they're three games back in the win column. Only one game back in the loss column. Denver hasn't played as many games as the Clippers. Denver can definitely make that up. They have another game against the Clippers coming up this year. That'll be an important one. That's one that I'm circling. Pretty sure that's May 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just check my math on that one. Um, That game is, yeah, May 1st. I think it's a national TV game. It's in about a couple weeks. That should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Kind of starts off Denver's death march during May. Uh, But we'll see how it goes. If Denver can kind of stay afloat until that point, then they'll put themselves in a really good position to, to continue to advance up the Western Conference standings. The Lakers are at 34 and 22, which is two games back of Denver. So they could advance over Denver. Denver could technically drop to six if they wanted to. The Blazers are currently 32-23. and 23. They are uh, three and a half games back of Denver, three games back in the loss column. Denver still has two more games against the Portland Trailblazers. One of those games is coming up soon, so we'll learn more about that tiebreaker and whether that's going to make a difference at all. Uh, but let's just say all the standings stay pat. You've got Portland at 6, Dallas at 7, Memphis at 8. Let's say that's how the the play-in game goes that way too. Uh, with Dallas winning at 7 and then Memphis winning at 8. I mean, Utah plays Memphis in the first round. Phoenix plays Dallas in the second or in the with the 2-7 matchup. The Clippers play the Blazers in the 3-6 and the Nuggets play the Lakers in the 4-5. Denver's going to have their hands, their, their, everything cut out for them. We're going to see whether they could actually match up with the team uh, talent-wise without Jamal Murray. I tend to think that the answer is probably no against a team like the Lakers, but you never know. 
Like, could Monte Morris outplay Dennis Schroeder in a playoff series? Yeah, he certainly could. Could, uh, I don't know, could Will Barton outplay Cantavius Caldwell-Pope? Yes, of course he can. The real question is whether can, can Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. outplay LeBron James and Anthony Davis? I think that Jokic is up for that matchup. We'll see how close uh, Michael Porter Jr. is. That would be really tough. But those would be the matchups in the Western Conference. That's probably the the worst-case scenario for Denver, I would say. So they should be doing everything they can to try to win and swap places with the Clippers so that the Clippers are in the 4-5 and the Nuggets will play the Blazers in the 3-6. That would be a fascinating series because Jamal Murray goes out with an ACL tear and you're talking about, okay, the Blazers, their strength is their guard rotation. You've got Damian Lillard. You've got CJ McCollum. You've got uh, Norman Powell, who's kind of an un- under an undersized three, kind of like Will Barton when he slides to the three. You've got Anthony Simons coming off the bench, which not sure if that's endearing or not, but Lillard and McCollum, that's a really, really great pairing. And for Denver, that's their weakness. But the Blazers... They have Yusuf Nurkic and Inez Cantor to match up with Nikola Jokic. And they have Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. and Norman Powell to match up with Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. If Denver could get that matchup and then play the winner of Phoenix and Dallas in the 2-7, there's definitely something to be said about Denver's path to the Western Conference Finals still. It's still not likely, don't get me wrong, but there are ways for them to get there. And then at that point, if you're the Nuggets and you've you've put the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Jazz on one side of the bracket, that means you have to face one of those teams if you get it to the Western Conference Finals, but it could be any of them. The Jazz could overperform. They could beat whoever comes out between the Clippers and the Lakers. Clippers or the Lakers could potentially prevail. I wonder if the Clippers are the team that's best suited to knock off the Lakers. Because if that's the case, Denver would be doing everybody a favor by advancing beyond the Clippers at three. We'll see if that's actually viable. I think that circling that May 1st matchup against the Clippers is definitely important. That's one that I am definitely going to circle as well. But we're going to see. We're going to see whether Denver can kind of maintain this pace. They're 2-0 without Jamal. I don't think that's going to continue. Like, they're not going to go undefeated without him, obviously. And some of the teams that they've played so far, pretty weak. Miami, not really impressive. We'll see if Denver can continue this. Michael Porter Jr. is really showing a lot over the course of these last few games. He's just continued to improve massively. We're going to see. We're going to see what he does. We're going to see how the rest of the team does, how everybody responds to the situation. They can still do damage, but it's going to take a village. That's for sure. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Going to be back tomorrow. I think I'm going to talk with a special guest. I know I said this last time, but this, uh, this time I actually do believe it. We are going to talk about the MVP race. Going to be a lot of fun. I am looking forward to it. 
I'll talk to you guys very soon.